Remember what those calluses this morning? Put your hands out in front of you. Uh, would you go ahead and stand up with me? Then we're going to pray real quick over this, uh, this service. Uh, we've been praying this prayer, the scripture throughout the, the Gospel of John as we go uh, through it. And I wonder if you would pray with me again. It comes out of Philippians 3, 10, 11, 12. Um, and it says this. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And I want to do this. I want to just take that same verse, and we've done this before, but I just want to slow it down. I want us to slow down. And I want us to really contemplate this. Matter of fact, we can do this. Just follow my lead, but we'll pause after verse 10 for a second. Okay? And if you start early or you start late, don't be embarrassed. It doesn't matter. This is a hard thing, not a performance thing. Alright? So it says this. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Let me see. I think sometimes what we can do is we can fly through that. And, you know, okay, this is uh, part. I believe this is part 22 of the Gospel of John. We've said that at least 22 times. Um, here's my question to you and to me: Is are we getting it right? Because we can pray this prayer. And and how many of you guys maybe when you were younger, uh, maybe even now, you don't have to raise your hand, but you thought. You saw somebody read a prayer, and you thought, like, especially maybe if you're from, like, a charismatic or Pentecostal stream, and you saw somebody read a prayer, you were like, I don't think that's as powerful as, like, maybe the person that's just up there praying. Anybody had that thought? You don't have to raise your hand, but, but the first time, you know, I've told you guys this before, I was about 30-something, and I was sitting in a Lutheran service, and as a child, they bored me to death, to tears. I was like, what are we? You know, I was used to guitars and drums and all these things. I was used to all the things, right, that helped me uh, falsely support my worship, if I'm being honest, right? Oh, wow, was worship good? I don't know. My heart rate went up, right? Was my life changed? I don't know. But there were times that I was still living like hell, uh, and we had a good worship service. Now, there's nothing wrong with drums. There's nothing wrong with electric drums. I love all of that stuff. All right? And I love do. I love leading worship. I love being a part of the band. Oh, by the way, uh, April, you did so good today. Thank you for leading us. That was the first time that she's like led by yeah. And then we'll see more of that. And so, um, but, but I got to thinking, you know, like, as I was sitting in that service one time, Man, and I believe the Holy Spirit was just in the room and dealing with me and saying, hey, there's so many different ways to worship me. Like you don't have a you don't have a corner market on how to worship me. Your your particular way in the way that you know that electric guitar and that pad and that keyboard and this and the modern sound and all this. That's it. That's the only worship that's good to me. You know, that's what I thought. And what I learned was that, that God is way bigger. Way bigger 
and that when we when we worship, we come together, and what it comes down to is the heart of worship. I mean, there was a song you guys know, a song maybe the heart of worship, right. okay, Matt Redman, and what he did was it, it was it was oh man, you know, basically they didn't play my top forty, you know, or we would say here they didn't play my top forty. You know, oh, if, 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 if she would have led it in that key, God would have come. But he led it in that other key. And so what they did is they, they said, you know what we're going to do for a while? We're just going to put away all the instruments. And we're going to come back to the heart of worship and what it's about. And, and so they did. And, and, uh, and really, I would encourage us here, like, when we say this stuff, like, I want to experience Christ and the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I wonder if that's the cry of our hearts. And I'm not saying, are you acing life? Are you getting everything right in life? Are you not messing? I'm not asking that question because I already know the answer to that question. Okay? You're missing the mark. Alright? I'm missing the mark. We're sinning. There's sin going on. Is anybody here perfect? Oh, you're raising Okay. She, he's stitching his head. I was like, dude. Bill time. You're an elder in the church. Man, don't be lying in front of you. Okay? Um, <laughs> so, so, no, but there, there's this thing that's, that's running after God. And so, I want to say this statement before we get started today with today's passage, that failure is a great teacher. Failure is a great teacher. Um, and it wasn't until I failed a lot of times that I learned the importance of actually doing things right. And for some of you, you may know the story. For others, you don't. Um, I was in college at Florida Southern College, where I graduated from. Go Mox, all right? Uh, and so, yeah, that's right. She's the one. Hey. <laughs> Anybody? No. Okay, so Florida, Southern, go Mocs. I was there. I was enjoying, uh, you know, campus life. I wasn't doing anything crazy or stupid. I was just staying up really late. Denny's was our spot we would go to. I would have a final or a test to study for, and someone just needed to say these words, do you want to go to Denny's? And you know what happened. The devil and the angel. You know that old picture? No, oh, you need to study. Okay? Now, I was just like, go to Denny's, right? I'm like, there it was. I'm like, yeah, I know I needed to say no. So what I found myself was at the end of that semester, I found myself on academic probation. So they used... I don't even know. 1.5 GPA. It was bad. It was bad. It was bad. It was bad. So I decided, you know what, I need to get my act together. And so the following semester, I really brought it up. I took a class pass fail. I was a what was the word I mean? I'll just use it. I was a moron. I pass fail. I thought, I just don't like this class. I'm not gonna go anymore. I didn't get the second part where it said fail. I thought you just like withdrew and then like you didn't like it, so you didn't go anymore. It, it, it advertised an F. 
So I brought my grade point average, I think it was a 1.75, I think I brought it up to that, even with that S. Then I got to be on severe academic probation, and I had to write a letter as to why they should let me back into their institution. My first draft got um, set to the side because it was like, because you want my money. Uh, but <laughs> again, young and dumb, I didn't, so I didn't put that, and I was like, I'll be a better person. Um, and then at that point, that's when I met Jen, who was the uh, president of Omicron Delta Kappa, also known as the Honor Society. <laughs> Opposites attract, right? And so I was, whatever the opposite of Omicron Delta Kappa was, which was I think Alpha Alpha Alpha, because I was way over here, um, dumb, super smart, unmotivated. Okay, so anyway, so I'm doing this, and, and here's what the deal, it wasn't that my professors didn't like me. My professors liked me, all right? Uh, I wasn't even, I wasn't mad at my professors because I was old enough to know that, oh yeah, it was the lack of work that I'm doing that is causing this to happen. I will say after I met Jen, I did shape up. <laughs> Brought it up to 1.9, no I'm just kidding, I did way better after that. And, uh, but, but the professors did this. They were going to um, continue to push me, but they knew that this, it wasn't going to be, my lack of effort was not without consequence. And so for all you kids sitting in the room right now, that's right, I'll call you by name. Okay. And, and so I want to tell you something. My lack of effort at Florida Southern had consequences about six months ago. See, because when I went to go get into graduate school, they said, if you have a 3.25 grade point average for your undergrad, you don't have to take the GRE. Well, there was a couple things I knew. One of them is that I didn't have a 3.25. I knew that for certain. When I got the transcript in, I was a little taken aback at what my grade point average was. I'll share it today, I don't care. It was a 2.87 is what I graduated undergrad with. That's not good. Okay, I just, if you don't know what those numbers mean, it's not good. Uh, a two means C, a three is a B, a four is an A. I don't know what Jen graduated with, but I can tell you what, it didn't have a two in the front of destiny. I know that. Uh, and so I had to take a, I had to take a GRE. Um, I also had to take a prerequisite course, right, that I just finished. I got a 97 in it, right? So yeah, for real. And so I was like, I told Jen, I was like, I've got to get an A in all my courses. I said, this is ridiculous. Like, I've got to redeem this. So it had consequences, though. So I had to do things that I normally wouldn't have had to do, right? And, and the conclusion uh, that the people around me had made was that I was just lazy at school, and I would have to concur with them and say, man, I was really lazy. But they did not love me enough to quote 
Gray Mace, help a brother out. Okay? They did not love me that much because here's what they knew. If they were going to help a brother out, they weren't really going to help a brother out. What they were going to do is enable me to behave in the fashion that I was behaving and pretend like I was succeeding. And so failure taught me some really, really good lessons. And so uh, it's not that they didn't love me, it's that they loved me enough to let me fail. They loved me enough to let me feel pain. They loved me enough to know what failure is like so that I would know what success is like. And so, as a result, today, I know how to work. Semi-hard. And so, I know how to get stuff done. All right? And I really believe this if my professors, my parents wouldn't have let me fail. Because um, they were asking questions, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty, have, you ever, have you seen this emoji? That was my parents. What are you doing? Right? Um, and so, yeah, so good stuff. All right, let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Would you open our eyes that we can see you, open our hearts and minds that we can know you. We guide our feet that we might follow you. Amen. And so I don't know about you guys. Thanks, Dad, again, for uh, speaking last week. Good stuff. I don't know if you guys were here. It's good stuff. If you've not heard it, listen to the podcast. I'm still trying to process, and I've been trying to process this, um, this gift that was given. Um, so Mary lavishes this gift on Jesus by anointing his feet and then washing his feet with her hair. And then there's like this backlash to the extravagance, you know. How could you? That that's worth this much. A year's wage is what she, quote, wasted on Jesus. And I just kept going back to that thought about, man, God, would maybe, maybe you could pour my life out like that extravagantly. Maybe our, our church could be an extravagant gift to the community. What, what are the things that we're willing to, to look ridiculous about in the name of Jesus Christ? And not just to look ridiculous, but as an act of worship, and we do this in the name of you know, I kept thinking about uh, as we as we keep reaching out to the Medela Elementary community. What does that look like? It, it looks nonsensical. Can I tell you, from um, a strictly accounting standpoint, it looks nonsensical. It looks absolutely bananas. Why? Over the last six years, we've put, I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars. Well, what is, what is the return? Well, the return is those people know that people care about them. 
the return is maybe we never, we will never ever see the return. But you know, I wonder, and I've asked this question before. I wonder if we would keep doing it in the name of Christ. I think about you know, if you just just do a just do a, a, a quick survey of the Bible of people who never saw the full promise of what God promised, but He was faithful to what He said, and they kept doing it. And that's what I want to encourage us this morning. Are we willing to keep doing it? Are we willing to walk in community together? All right? When we look around the room, here's what I see from up here. I have a little bit that I'm, I'm, I think I'm six and a half inches off the ground here. I see a lot of blank chairs that I didn't see about three years ago. How does that make you feel like? Well, sometimes it makes me feel like crap, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. There are some Sunday afternoons where I'm like, wow. But then there are some Monday mornings when I wake up and I'm encouraged by people who I've walked with in this community and things that are going on in their lives and the lives of the people around them. You know, Dallas Willard once said, don't, don't judge a Sunday service or your gathering or your community by the amount of people in the chairs, but by the weight of them. What physical weight? None. The spiritual weight of the person sitting there. And I want to say, in this room, I believe that we are people, and you, some of you don't even know, but you are heavy hitters when it comes to spirituality. Because you are walking where God wants you to be. And I want to say that too. It doesn't just stop in this room. There are people that are joining us on the live stream. You are heavy hitters in the kingdom. And I want to talk about that very thing today. And I want to talk about just this continuation of the extravagant gift that, that Mary gives, that Jesus is, that she's preparing him for what's going to happen. Uh, we're going to pick up in John 12, uh, verses 20 through 36, and then we're going to carry on a little bit more. Some Greeks, right, this just simply means non-Jewish People, some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration uh, um, paid a visit to Philip, uh, who was from Bethsaida and in Galilee. And they said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. And Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life will lose it. And those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. And then a voice from heaven, or spoke from heaven, saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I do, and I will do so again. And when the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to him. And when Jesus, Jesus told them, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging the world 
has come when Satan, the ruler of the world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. The crowd responded, we understood from Scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say the Son of Man will die? Just who is the Son of Man anyways? And Jesus replied, my light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you still can, so that the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. And then you will become children of the light. After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. Takeaway number one today is this. That Jesus loves the whole world deeply. Jesus loves the whole world deeply. And I wonder in the room this morning if we have begun to grasp the depth and height and vastness of the love of Christ. See, his love extends to every person, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group. And I want to say this this morning, that it extends to you too. You are not beyond the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus loves you. He welcomes the Jews. He welcomes the Greeks. He welcomes this um, these people. And in this particular story, in this passage, it says that he welcomes in the Greeks. He welcomes in the non-Jews. Now I want us to know this, that a, for a rabbi to do this, as Jesus was a rabbi, was a huge cultural no-no. This was a cult, this was culturally appalling. Uh, the move that he made was culturally appalling. Jesus chooses to do this, and it wasn't by accident that he chooses to do this. This is just a precursor to know that his time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory, and the glory wasn't just for a certain people group, that it was for all of humanity. That the love of Christ wasn't limited, the love of Christ was limitless. That Jesus' death, as a matter of fact, would be the beginning of the redemption of the entirety of the world. That every person could come to God through Jesus. And this is imperative because we have deals out there where, yeah, I mean, there's, he, Jesus is like, you know, no, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the Father. Well, that seems fairly exclusive. It is. I don't know what else, how else to say it. But Jesus' love is for the world. 2 Peter 3.9 says it like this in the NLT. It says, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. The NIV says that same verse like this. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to But for everyone to come handheld, check, maybe check, maybe one, two. Good. But for everybody to come to repentance. All right? Here's what I would say to you. Have you come to repentance? Have you recognized that you have sin in your life? What is sin? It's missing the mark. What is realization? We need Jesus. 
Those are the things that we need to realize. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. Hey, just sit here, Rob. Stand up. But do you realize that you need Jesus? Because Jesus is the light of the world. He is the one who has taken on your sin. And to have that realization and to know that Jesus loves you deeply, and he loves you deeply no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing right now, Jesus loves you deeply. His love for you will not change. What he's asking is that you would come to know him. We look around and we look at society and we think, oh my, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday, I was smelling. There's a saying that I've just learned and hate. We're going to hell in a handbasket. What, what kind of hope is that? Okay, if I'm reading Romans 8 correctly and all things are restored, then we're not going to hell in a handbasket. All things will be restored. Do you understand that? What kind of hope is that? We run around. I'm not saying you have to understand everything. I don't understand everything that's going on, and you don't either. We try to give simple answers to complicated things. Anytime somebody, we take a complex matter and we turn it into a one-word answer, I'm just, I doubt that you are, have contemplated that seriously. You know, here's what I do know, that Jesus is the answer. Well, that's pretty simple, Andy. Jesus is the answer. And the most complex thing is this, that man, it, requires, it is everything in you that has to lean into him. Even the doubt, you can lean into him. Even the questions you can ask of him because he's big enough to take on those questions. Yeah, but I kind of doubt this thing about God. God's up in, wherever, God's up in heaven shivering in his boots because you have a doubt about him. The creator of all things is shivering because you have a doubt about him. He loves you. That love won't change. You have questions of why this, why that. Those are good questions to ask. I'm not asking you, hey, get in line, be a good soldier. Ask the tough questions. God is big enough. Takeaway number two, God is not cruel. God is love. God is not cruel. God is love. It says this in John 12, 37. But despite the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe. This is a common theme. Have we seen this? Jesus acts. There's two groups. Probably three. The ones that are like, eh, whatever. And then the ones that are like, want to kill him and the ones that want to follow him. Everywhere he goes, everything he does, you see this all the time. I saw something yesterday and he goes, this uh, guy was asked a question and he said, you know, what have you learned uh, in your life? And he's learned, uh, the thing, the top thing that he learned was this, it is just okay for me to be misunderstood. I used to be one, I used to be one, I wanted to be understood by everyone. Like I wanted, and I wanted to have your ear and I wanted to do this, I wanted you to understand me thoroughly. And he goes, I am not going to be able to be understood by everyone. It's the same principle that you can't satisfy 100% of the people 100% of the time. It's that same thing. Now, here's what I would say to you as a little side note is this. We look at Jesus. How did Jesus treat people? He treated people with love. He wasn't a jerk to him. He wasn't a jerk to him. Let me give you an example of real life. 
going by. I'm on Ford Avenue. I'm going southbound on Ford Avenue. I'm going to pick three of my kids up from Chick-fil-A. Because that's my favorite thing to do today. Alright? Let's go to Chick-fil-A just to pick up my kids. Hey, did you guys give me anything? Oh, we forgot. Get out of water. Okay? <laughs> so here's the deal. Oh, you got fries? Okay, in the trunk. Alright? So here's the deal. So, uh, I don't put them in the trunk, just anybody online. Okay, so, um, <laughs> they're on that And so, the deal is this, I was thinking about this. So I'm going southbound, I'm driving by. Of course, you guys know that there was a huge decision made with the Supreme Court. If you're alive, you know that happened, okay? And so, here, here's this guy. They have now, in front of the abortion clinic, they have a um, three-foot uh, fence, and then they also put a, another three-foot extension of a, of a windscreen. And so, here you got, and now I'm, I'm looking over, and I, see, I, I saw a police officer pass me southbound, no lights, but no sirens. And I'm like, okay, something's coming down, clearly. Normally, you know, they don't come, if LPD doesn't come with lights, there's something where they don't want to notify the, the criminal, okay? Or with no sirens. And so, they roll in, and then I look over to my left, and then I'm seeing like seven units over there, all right? Seven cars, I don't know how many police officers are there. And then I see this guy on top of a stepladder, shouting over the barrier with the megaphone, with a shirt on that says, trust Jesus. And I literally almost started crying. And it's because of this. I don't see Jesus treating people that way in the gospel. Here's what I see Jesus. I see Jesus meeting with people that have questions about him in the night, late at night, even after he's been ministering all day. I see him calling people, oh, you have a hand? Yeah, come up here. Now, there's people that I see him getting arguments with are the religious people. If God is not cruel and God is love, what are we to be then if we are his followers? And I don't know what that guy's deal was. I don't know what he was yelling over the megaphone. And I'm not judging him. I'm just making an observation. It didn't look a lot like Jesus. What I've found over the years is that I don't have to agree with you to love you. Like, I can love you. You know how many people Jesus loved that he didn't agree with? There was one that followed him around a lot, and she used to be a prostitute. She got delivered of some demons. She followed him for the rest of his life. You know, I just wonder, but, but there's these people. Most of the people still didn't believe. 
And this is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? 39 says this, but the people couldn't believe, for Isaiah also said, The Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and have me healed them. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke, wow, and spoke the Messiah's glory of the Messiah's glory. Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they would not admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than they loved the praise of God. Jesus shouted to the crowds, if you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as the light to shine in the dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say. And how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to. And the point of this is this. The takeaway is God is not cruel. How many of you have read that and thought, geez, man, God, you're pretty rough here, right? The Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can't see and their hearts can't understand. How in the world are they supposed to understand? Let me tell you what that is. It's called choice. You have a choice to follow God or not to follow Him. Could I even say this, that you have a choice to harden your heart or soften your heart towards God? That is a choice that we make. See, God isn't doing that. We are choosing to say, I am good on my own. I don't need you. God is love. He's drawing everyone to him, but there are people who are rejecting him. In Romans 1, 28, it says this, since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God. Remember, Jesus, we've got to think about this in the context of the time. What Jesus was doing here was craziness. It was crazy. We have to understand that. We have the biblical context. We're like, oh yeah, I believe because I mean, you get to know the end of the story. But it says this. They thought it was foolishness to acknowledge God. He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things they should, that should never be done. Their lives became full of uh, all, every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyways. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. God gives us a choice in the matter. We can either follow him or we can walk away from him. How many of you have been like me where you're knowingly walking away from God in a situation, but you're simultaneously blaming him for what your life looks like? 
Anybody? Besides me? I ain't got time for this, God. You, you don't even know. My life's a wreck. I'm going to go out here and do whatever I want to do. What? That's not too crazy, I don't think. I think we may have all done that. But here's what I'm convinced of is this. The way that we view God helps us lean into him during pain and suffering. Jesus says in John 16, we'll go over later, down the road, part 35. Um, he says, in this world you will have trouble. But don't worry, because I have overcome the world. And how are we looking at Jesus? And how are we looking then at God? Is God, which I've called before, is God for God? Is he waiting to pounce on us with his hammer? I can't wait for you to make a mistake. Like that game. Remember that game? Remember the game the, the moles would come up? Boom! You'd hit them. Is that your view of God? Boy, when you make light, I'm like, woo, I'll work you. Boom. Or is he a loving father who sees the mistakes you make and you can come to him safely and say, God, I've made these mistakes. And he says, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Is God a God that is closed-armed to you or is he a God that's open-armed to you? We will suffer in this life. We will have pain in this life. But Jesus has overcome the world. The better question that I think we need to get used to acting, asking is this. What are you up to, Lord? What are you up to, Lord? I think our Western expectation is that our lives will be unicorns and bubblegum and ice cream with sprinkles or whatever you like on top. And I think the reality of it is this, that in the kingdom of God, we have the hope of Jesus Christ that can make any situation go from hopeless to hopeful. What is the Lord up to? I believe that the Lord is up to some stuff. I believe that he's stirring people's hearts. I believe that he's stirring people's minds into motivating them to do the things that they are actually called to do. I just want to give you a clue. Sunday morning is a small part of church. Do you know the people who you worship with? Yeah, well, I'm a major introvert. Not me. I mean, I'm not. I'm selectively introverted. <laughs> I can't say. I'm a condition. Um, no. So, <laughs> do we know the people? Are we walking? I'm not saying, are you, do you know every single person in the room and their life story and all that? Do you know somebody who knows you and you know them? And you're encouraging each other in the name of Jesus Christ to fight the good fight, to go out every day and encourage other people to live a life that is for Jesus. 
It's like the best thing going. I do not know anything else that fulfills me like Jesus fulfills me. When I'm walking through stuff, or our family's walking through stuff, or our community's walking through stuff, here's what I've done. You have overcome the world. What are you up to, Lord? When I'm walking into Walmart, my attitude can be, I'm taking back this six-pack of underwear that I got the wrong size for my son, and I'm ticked. Even though it's my fault. <laughs> Failure teaches me, right? And Or can I just like go in and say, like, okay, God, what are you doing? I'm busily rushing around, picking my kids up from Chick-fil-A. I ain't got time for this. You didn't get me nuggets, get out. The guy in front of me cuts me off. I mean, it's, it's the whole positioning of our life. You know, I don't know about you guys that are married in here. I mean, I'm just saying for you guys that have um, arguments, you and I don't. <laughs> I'm a pastor, you guys. Um, is she in here? She knows I'm right all the time, and so that's where it ends. So, okay, I had that part off the podcast. Um, and so, no, but think about this. Think about that. Like, you know, right, if you're in a relationship with anybody, right, how are we approaching it, though? Hopelessly or hopeful? Are we approaching it as if Christ, the Holy Spirit, is between us and I'm dealing with somebody who has a Mago day, or am I dealing with an enemy? And I think what, what the problem is with the with stepladder guy, that's what I'll call him, I don't know who it was, with stepladder Joe, the problem with that is, is that he's forgetting the Mago day. That you're not yelling at Satan. You're yelling at a human being that was created in the image of God. And when we forget that, which we often do, and it might not be you yelling with a megaphone on top of a stepladder, right? But it could be any other reaction to any other person. It could be the bitterness in your heart that you've held for years towards someone. God wants to release you from. It could be the unforgiveness when you need to forgive someone. It's those things that God is calling because God is love. We are to be his disciples. We're to be like him. And that's what he's calling us to. So that's what I want to encourage you with this morning. That God is moving. He is on the move. And what we can do is we can partner with him in the things that he's doing. That's what I hope that you're doing. So I want to answer this a little bit differently today. I want to take communion. I want us to receive communion now. So you guys, go ahead and move around. There's a, there's a gluten-free table right there and back there. The three others are regular. So if, you're, if you need a gluten-free thing, uh, it is there.